Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Let no one think me foolish is the title of today's message. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at a larger section and portion of Scripture than we normally do, verses the first 21 verses. But again, I want to remind you what we find ourselves in this letter is the heart of a dispute. There is dispute going on between Paul and the church of Corinth. You may remember Paul started that church. It's a very vibrant church. It's a very uh, prolific church. It's a very well-to-do type of church. Paul is now away from there. There's been some conflict going on. You might remember he had went and visited there and wound up leaving very shortly because of the conflict that has been happening from those that are causing trouble at that church. And the heart of the conflict or the dispute really is between Paul and his rivals in the Corinthian church, and the heart of that dispute is that of authority. Paul is their spiritual father, the one who introduced him to the gospel, desires to continue that special relationship with them. And he's concerned with some of the new arrivals that have entered into the church and have found their way in a leadership and an influence. The new arrivals have mounted a smear campaign against Paul and his ministry. They are seeking to build themselves up by tearing him down. And that's what we've looked at. They've been tearing down every little thing about him. And this is causing rebellion and division in the church. And it's hurting not only the people of the church, but also, as we saw several weeks ago, the reputation of Christ. And we need to be cognizant of that. Whatever a church does, it reflects the very character of Christ. There are many people who love God, love Christ, but don't like the church. There's actually a book called that. We love Jesus, we just don't like the church. And to be honest, if we're honest, as many times the church has been the worst enemy of Christ at times. And we need to recognize that how we conduct ourselves and how we live our lives and the things that we do outside these walls will have a great impact. Spoke very quickly earlier about the 186, over almost 250, 270 people here yesterday. They had a great testimony. We gave we were able to give a great testimony on how much we love that community. However, how we deal with them each and every day tells more. And there was a time when we were turning on sprinklers uh, to, to, to ward them off so they couldn't come on the property. I don't know if you remember that there was a group of people who were doing those types of things. And we've had to work hard to, to earn back their trust and, and respect. And that's what's happening here at this church. They're hurting more than they're helping. Last week, Paul lays down the ground rules of what defines a man of God. For these rivals, these opponents of Paul, are saying, look at me, we're men of God. But it's not enough just to build themselves up, they do it by tearing someone else down. Have you ever known someone like that? That all they do is they tear people down, criticize other people, and the only purpose is to make themselves look good? 
And that's what they're doing. And so last week, Paul says, no, listen, this is what a true man of God looks like. We saw that. There was three, three of them. First, he said, a man of God is not a braggart. He's not someone who goes around just bragging about his own exploits and his own ministries and what he does. A man of God is someone who's concerned with the kingdom of God and not his own kingdom, not his own book sales, not his own conferences, not his own influence. And then thirdly, we learn that a man of God is someone who is humble, as Christ was humble. Today, in chapter 11, Paul continues his defense against those rivals. He's beginning to take the gloves off now. Paul is is done with just being nice. He's taking the gloves off, and he's ready to attack the integrity of those in opposition against him. And since his rivals have been comparing themselves to Paul by using a negative light for him and a positive for them, he now turns the table and he's going to take the offensive. And with that, let's ask God to just help us to understand that this morning. Father, open our hearts to your word. Let us handle your word as with the integrity and with the passion that it deserves. Thank you for your revealed word. Let me speak words that are building, that are uplifting. Let us know the difference between your scripture and a proper and right interpretation and just one man's opinion. Let us be clear about that. And we pray that we'd open up our hearts to your spirit. We'll now begin to do the work that you've planned beforehand. Before any of us were born, you had this as a divine appointment. And so we may take it in that regard. Keep our minds alert. Keep our hearts active. And Lord, may we glorify you in all that we do. God's people said, very good. I prayed that you have read through this scripture as I gave it to you Wednesday. And I want to encourage you each week as I give you, it's there for you to read, to consider, to pray through, so that when you come, you have an idea, and we're praying together, and we're working for God to work in our hearts together. I want to give you four observations as Paul now turns the table and takes the offensive. The first observation that I want us to point out, if you're taking notes, is that Paul is greater in knowledge. Paul is going to say, listen, I am greater than knowledge than my opponents. We see this as we begin verse 1. Paul goes to the Corinthians and says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband and to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived you as a, or I'm sorry, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He has a very deep concern here. Verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaim another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, Or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you all in all things. Paul is in a quandary. His rivals tear him down repeatedly. And he really has no desire to get down in the mud with them and play at their games and repeat their folly. 
Paul is condemning the self-commendation and the comparisons of each other as worthless. He says there, there is no eternal value in comparing ourselves or tearing each other down. There's no eternal value. For God is the final and right judge of what is good and what is wrong. And it's only Jesus, it's only God who is able to give value uh, a commendation. As we saw last week, there's going to be several ones. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Or the blessed words that I hope all of you hope to receive. Is well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Master. Which words will you hear? Is it a desire to hear one or the other, or are you at this point in life? So I just really don't matter to me. King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 26 makes note of this type of quandary concerning Paul and his and his rivals. You may want to take a look at this. this is an interesting verse, Proverbs chapter 26, verses four to five. Take your Bibles and look at that real quickly. It's an interesting proverb. It almost seems contradictory. And at first blush, it does seem contradictory. In Proverbs 26, King Solomon writes, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. In other words, don't answer. Have you ever had someone who comes to you and they're just foolish, and they just ask you a bunch of silly questions, and you can just tell it's going on and on, and sometimes you're like, you know what, if you engage in what happens, is you wind up just going in circles, wind up getting frustrated and angry. If you have someone like that, is that person sitting next to you right now? You might be married to that person, I don't know. Oh, no comments. But he says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Because you're not going to win him. You know, that's what you have to understand. But then, in the very next verse, look what King Solomon says. He says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own, wa- in his own eyes. So it seems like, well, do I do it or do I don't? If I do it, I wind up looking foolish like him, and I'm playing silly games. But yet now you're telling me to do it, because if I don't, he just continues in it. It seems contradictory with what Solomon is telling you. There is going to be times in your life when you're going to have to make some type of wise biblical decision on who to answer and who not to answer. And there will be times when you'll have it, and there's times, I'll tell you, that when I've been witnessing or sharing the gospel with someone, and they're they're verse 4. You know what? They're going on and on, and it's time to disengage. And say, you know what? We're not getting anywhere. I remember there was one guy at Coffee Bean. We would go and we would talk, and it seemed to be uh, intellectually stimulating. It seemed to be like we were going, but in the end, it was like one of those ones, you know what? You really don't care what I have to say. You're not even listening to what I have to say. You're just talking to hear the own con- your own concepts. You know, the guy that's wise in his own eyes, or as Clint Eastwood said, you're just a legend in your own mind. And eventually, I just said, you know what? This is foolish. I'm just stepping away. You know, and I've never regretted that. Uh, one day, I hope to re-engage with this young man. But you know what? Until it changes, it's not much. But then, 
There are times when someone needs to be answered. You need to show the mirror up and say, man, you are foolish. It need, you need, some, you need some, uh, uh, some education. You know, You need an attitude adjustment here. And Paul is in that quandary. What do I do? Do I follow verse 4 or do I follow verse 5? But we see Paul is determined here that he now must respond to these men. Up to this point, he hasn't. Up to this point, he has not. He's kind of let it go. But now it's come to the point to where it's been destructive. And now he's faced, I am determined that I must respond now to their boasting with his own boasting. Why? In order to protect his flock. So Paul is saying, I'm going to have to be foolish as they are so I may be able to answer what they're going through. Paul had warned the elders of Ephesus of this very thing in Acts chapter 20 where Paul told the elders, he says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In other words, God has said that the elders, uh, Randy and I for Orangeville Bible Church, were your elders. We're the, the under-shepherds of this flock. And they use the terms the terms of, of um, you know, sheep and shepherds to help us understand that. He says, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul writes, he says, I know that after my departure, after I leave, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. These are strong words. The tragedy of this whole affair of Corinthian church is the lack of alertness on behalf of the elders of the Corinthian church, as well as the members themselves, to allow these men into their midst and to draw them away and to cause the very thing that Paul had warned the church of Ephesus. If anything, there's words for you and I. Our enemy is not from without, but from where? They come from within, do they not, Mike? We've seen it. Our enemy is not from without our walls. They come in as sheaves. Sheep, sheaves. Sheeps. Sheep. Yeah, that's right. Sheeps is not. I learned that. I learned that in fourth or fifth grade. As sheep. And that's what these men had done. And it's become a cancer that's just grown and grown and grown and is just tearing apart this church. And Paul now is determined to really nip this in the bud. A fool, just so you understand what it means to be a fool, a fool is one who does not take God into account in their thinking. Psalms 14 tells us, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. I dare say in this church there are some today that are fools. They say in their heart, there is no God. But you may say, wait a second, I, I believe there is a God. I believe there is a greater being. But yet, do you take Him account in your life? In your workplace? In your relationships? 
in the way that you entertain yourselves. A fool is one who says, I can live my life the way I want and not take into account that one day they'll stand before a living and holy God. That's what a fool is. These rivals of Paul have proved themselves to be fools as they minister for selfish reasons, not for the kingdom of God. They do not minister for the cause of Christ. And Paul is now going to revert to their strategy and to their practice of boasting. That's what he means when he says, I'm going to be as a fool. Not in the fact that he says that there's no God, but he says, I'm going to take on your strategy, your practice, and use it against you. The difference is, is that Paul knows that it's foolish to brag on his achievements. In essence, Paul is really asking them to humor him for a moment as he relates his strength as a faithful minister of the New Covenant. If you're taking notes, I want to give you three concerns that we're going to see here of Paul and why he takes on and he chooses to answer a fool according to his foolish ways. And the first reason is we're going to see in verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a seer and pure devotion to Christ. The first one is Paul has a zeal and a love and a concern for the purity of the church by protecting them from Satan. He realizes who they are. And his desire is to present that church pure. And when he's doing this, and we're going to look at this actually portion of Scripture a little bit more in detail next week. So I encourage you, we're going to look at verses 2 through 4 much more detailed next week. But what we're seeing here is Paul is saying, listen, I'm bringing in the imagery of a Jewish relationship of a father and a daughter. In essence, he's saying, I'm like the father who's protecting my daughter. When she gets married, I want to present her as someone who is pure, someone who's untouched. Why? That's God's plan. It's God's design. And we still fight against that. But yet Paul says, that's how much I love and care for you. You need to understand that. The Corinthians feel like they can live life any old way that they want. Well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I can just do what I want. And Paul says, no. The Bible says he wants to present us as pure and blameless before Christ. The second concern that Paul has of them is found in verse 4. For he says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. His worry is, is they have a readiness to put up with the false gospel. Paul says you're accepting whatever. Don't you realize this is not the gospel? This is not real? past two weeks in Sunday school, and I encourage Sunday school is at 10 o'clock. We've been going over a study to learn what it means to live as a church, to be together. We've been looking at what we call some gospel gaps. In other words, there's many of us who profess Christ. We would say, well, we have accepted Christ in our heart. We believe in Christ. But yet when we say that and we know what that means, 
we don't live as if we truly are one of Christ's children. We live in any old way, and we call that gap between what we say and what we do a Christian gap. And we fill it with all sorts of things to kind of make up the difference. Paul is saying you're accepting this. Those are false gospels, those gospel gaps. They're not the real thing. They're not genuine. And Paul readily admits here, hey, you're right, I may not have uh, the rhetorical gift of speaking. That was one of the knocks against them. Well, Paul, you look at him and he, he doesn't look great. I mean, he stooped over. Look at all the beatings he took. Look at his eyes. His eyes are enlarged, many believed, of his physical appearance. And they look at him and say, he's not somebody worth following. We've talked about this before. We like to follow men who are, are tall and, and they have this uh, enormous uh, um, uh, charismatic, um, help me out, nature and being. We find that in politics. We find that in sports. We find that in our entertainment. But Paul says, you're right. I may not be any of those things, but yet I'm greater in knowledge and in the things of God. So Paul says, I'm greater in, need, greater in knowledge. This has been plain to you. I know the Scriptures. I've taught to you. I've taught them to you. Paul says, I'm greater in knowledge. The second observation we're going to see in verse 7 is Paul is greater in sacrificial love. Look at verse 7. As Paul continues, he says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself, so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. Paul didn't take any money from them. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. In other words, Paul would be in a ministry and someone else, a church from another area, would send, their, would send money to him to help him out. Verse 9, And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. Verse, uh, continue. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Is it because I do not love you? What is the end? God knows that I do. I love you. You're my spiritual children. My concern is great for you wherever I go. Paul's practice of self-support. Paul was a tent maker by trade. He would make leather goods. He would make tents. He would take uh, leather and make all sorts of different types of things. And Paul is what you would call a layman who worked and, and, and supported himself by working. He would work during the day, and then when the job was done, then he would go into the synagogues, he would do teaching. He would do it as he worked. He used it as a tool to support himself. And that practice was so that he could preach the gospel of God free of charge, so no one could charge him that he was doing it only for the money. And isn't that the case even today? There are many who make that accusation. And to be honest, we've had some men and women who have used the gospel of God for that endeavor. This practice of self-support was a humbling experience for Paul because it entailed not only the physical suffering as a result of his hard work, 
and his insufficient earning as an itinerant craftsman. He was not someone with a shop, but he moved from place to place. Could you imagine starting a business every time you went into a new city? But also the cultural disdain that the upper classes had for manual labor. Remember, Corinthian was very much an Orange County of today. The goal was to get prestige, was to go to be in leadership, to get in management, to have other people working for you. You didn't want to be the worker bee. You wanted wanted to be the guy who said, here, do this. And the Corinthians were struggling with Paul's desire to work for his own keep and accept money from everybody but them. John MacArthur writes about this phenomenon. He says the Greek culture measured the importance of a teacher by the fee he could command. In those days, it was common to have uh, speakers. And in Greek culture, in which this current, the church of Corinth was in, is in what's now known as Greece, they very much liked to hear these traveling speakers. That he be entertained by them. Remember, no Facebook, no Twitter, you know, no ESPN, no, no March Madness. So for them, entertainment was listening to a speaker get up and just rhetorically give a great speech, and you would be enthralled by it. And they and how much they made was could tell you what their what their prestige was. The false apostles therefore accused Paul of being a counterfeit since he refused to charge for his services. Could you imagine that? Paul's desire was just to preach the gospel. I'll go anywhere God sends me. I'll make my own way. I won't rely on you. Paul has rivals had convinced the Corinthians to be offended by Paul's humbling spirit and his refusal to accept support from them, offering that as evidence that he did not love them. If you love me, you accept my money. You'll, you'll accept my gift. But Paul says, please, keep it. Paul's resort to manual labor to support himself had also embarrassed the Corinthians who felt that such work to be beneath the dignity of an apostle. Before I go on, many of the apostles, most of the apostles, did accept giving from the churches. And with biting irony, Paul asks his accusers, how, does, how foregoing his right to support himself could possibly be a sin? He says, how could that be wrong? How could I have hurt you? By humbling myself, I am exalting you. In other words, he says, by working, I'm saying you are worth the effort. In fact, by refusing support, he had humbled himself so that they could be exalted. That is, they could be lifted out of their sin and idolatry. In other words, their sin and idolatry was a love for money, a love for prestige, a love for power. A lust for all those things. Very much the same things that maybe you struggle here today. Always trying to make the next level. Always trying to attain more. And you always find it when you see someone who moves from the ranks of the manual labor and then moves up to whatever level it may be. You can see the way that they treat their former friends and co-workers. All of a sudden, their, their ego takes a, a rise, and all of a sudden, just to give orders. And sometimes we give orders just to give orders. That's what Paul's fighting here. But Paul says, I'm greater in sacrificial love. I'm willing and ready to humble myself. 
If it means that I struggle financially, that's fine. Why? Because I love you. Paul had a greater sacrificial love. Those super apostles, and he used that term as not as a term of endearment, but as a way to accuse him. He says, look at those super guys. All they want is money from you. They're devouring you. But I love you greater. Third observation is Paul is greater, not only in knowledge and not only in sacrificial love, but the third point is that he's greater in revealing the truth, the very job of an apostle. He says, I'm greater in revealing the truth. Look at verse 12. For he continues and says, And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as I do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguised in themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. Verse 15. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul's refused to accept money from the Corinthians because it was imperative for him to distinguish his ministry from that of the false apostles who labored in Corinth out of greed. That was their desire. For them, the church was nothing but to to attach themselves and to drain those people out of their funds. Unfortunately, we have many ministries and churches and preachers who are doing the very same thing. But not only in leadership, but also it happens for those who come into the church and use the church as a social business network. To them, coming to church is a way to make contacts, to sell their business, to sell their goods. They claim to be messengers, or mess, excuse me, they claim to be messengers of the light of truth and salvation, but they were masquerading their true origin from their true origin from Satan and their destiny in hell. Paul says, I'm greater in revealing the truth. These people are pretending who to be. But he says, I'm revealing the truth to everyone. I'm letting them know what is real. And then the fourth is Paul is greater in weakness. Paul is greater in weakness than all of them in verse 16. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so I I too may boast a little bit. This is what he's saying. Paul's saying, I'm going to take that strategy. I'm going to answer a fool according to his folly. Look at verse 17. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. In other words, he's saying this is not a command. This is not a direct command of Jesus. He does not command us to boast of our achievements. He says, this is me. He says, since many boast according to the flesh, I will too boast. And as we go on through this next chapter and the uh, the rest of this chapter next, Paul is going to continue to boast for a little bit. So in verse 19, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, devours you, takes advantage of you, put on airs or strikes you, In the face, to my shame, I must say we are too weak for that. Paul is greater 
in weakness. John MacArthur had wrote about this passage. He says that Paul's sarcasm here has now reached its peak as he noted that Paul was too weak to abuse the Corinthians as the false apostles had done. Paul says, what is going on with you people? You're accusing me. They're accusing me of abusing you. But look what they're doing to you. Look at the fruits of their ministry. The fruits of my ministry is you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the new covenant. Your heart was open to the the will of God. But look at their fruits. And Paul lists five things in verse, verse 20 that they were allowing these false apostles to do. He says they made slaves of you. In other words, they were, you, they were devoted to legalism. We saw this in 1 Corinthians a little bit, and a little bit more in 2. In other words, now you're following all their Jewish legalisms. It enslaves you. It's not setting you free. They devour you, or they exploit you for their own purposes. In the same way, number the third one is they take advantage of you. They're taking your money. They're using you for their own purposes. They put on airs, which is just the words, is they're being, they're setting themselves above you. Almost like super apostles and, and, and leaders who are beyond uh, um, any type of responsibility or authority. And then even to the point that they strike you. The rivals were mainly Jewish and they were mistreating the Gentile church to the point they were allowing them even to physically and emotionally and spiritually take abuse. All five of these actions are signs of arrogant and domineering attitude on a part of these super apostles. In another statement of irony or sarcasm, that's why Paul ends by saying, I'm too weak to act like them. Paul says, I don't have the strength to treat you as they treat you. I guess I don't have the boldness to be as awful as they are to you. Paul says, I need to answer a fool as a fool does. And Paul says, I'm much weaker than that. And he says, I'll take liberty and I'll take pride in that fact. Why? Paul is greater in knowledge. Paul is greater in sacrificial love. Paul is greater in revealing the truth. And Paul is greater in weakness. As we come to end to this today, we say, well, what does this mean for us? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, and you'll recognize them by their fruits. Here's where I want us to get right now for us, for you and I today is Paul is sharing with us what a truly a man of God is. It's a man who's greater in knowledge, a man who is in sacrificial love, one who reveals the truth and is humble and, 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 and is great and great in his weakness. The church of God needs to be active in protecting itself from those who seek to use it for their own gain. That means not only the leadership, but the membership itself needs to be pointing out, looking for those wolves. And they're marked by these types of attitudes and actions. Many people ask me, 
Why does OVBC believe do a formal membership? Why do you have a, a class? Why do, why, do you, why do you share with them some things? Why do you ask them to sign a covenant? What's the purpose of all that? That seems to me like you're making barriers or, or you're preventing people from joining the church. Why can't I join the church by just attending? Well, it's for this very reason. If the Corinthian church had been more um, fruitful or more, I'm not thinking of the word here, but if they had been more diligent in watching the front door of who was coming in, they would have prevented many of the things that happened in Corinth. Be assured of this. Satan wants to destroy this church. Satan does not want Orange Villa to make any type of inroads to this new community right next door. He does not want us to reach those 186 children. He does not want us to reach out to this side of Orange at all. He seeks to destroy us. He seeks to destroy the marriages in this church. He's going to seek to destroy the relationships and the spiritual um, strength of those that attend the church. That's Satan's design. And we may face attacks from the government and from the state by different rules and regulations that they put on it. But Satan's practice is not to, to attack us from there. It's what he does is he gets people to come in, teaching a different gospel, who come in there for their own purposes and their own agendas, and they attack it. They're usually the people that are the most friendly. They're going to be the people that are most the strong, the people we look at and say, boy, that's leadership material. And if a church is not alert and dutiful, we could wind up in the very same way. Does that mean then we become uh, obstructionists? Does it mean that we shut the doors and just have a holy huddle? No. Scripture has told us to be forthcoming and to share the gospel. Open our doors. Come in. Hear the gospel. But yet we must be alert and recognize that Satan truly does want to destroy the reputation of Christ. Let us not give him the ammunition to do so. I'm going to ask for you just to take a moment, bow your heads if you'd like, and close your eyes. Maybe take your pen and your, your, uh, your bulletin. Let's just take a moment, maybe to put some words to the paper. Maybe to ask God, what is it that you want to teach me from this message? Have you today become one of those super apostles? Do you seek to domineer, to, to hurt others? Or do you seek to be one that lifts and encourages the church of God? Father, transform this church. Help us to be a church that's alert, that's watchful. Help us be a church that's opening. Help us to be a church that's encouraging, that's lifting up others. But Lord, let us be careful of those that seek to devour and to destroy. Keep our hearts, guard our hearts. May we be protected from becoming those types of people. Lord, I pray that you be glorified in all that we do. Strengthen us for the battle. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes 
And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.